Job Talks podcast members and guests are not representative of any department, organization, or city. Hey guys, thanks for taking a second before the episode to listen to our sponsors. Just wanted to let you guys know that we decided to create a Patreon account as well. Unfortunately, producing this podcast isn't free as much as we love doing it. Between the equipment, the software, and all the editing stuff, it costs money. We want to be around for the long haul, and we want to be able to provide you with good quality episodes and eventually hands-on training. To do that, unfortunately, we need to bring money in. So we have our Patreon account. You can go to patreon.com slash jobtalks. That's patreon.com slash J-O-B-T-L-K-S. We have two tier subscriptions. The first tier is a dollar a month, basically just letting us know that you support what we're doing, and we really appreciate that. In exchange, we're going to give you 10% off any classes or lectures that we do in the future. We have another tier for $2.50 a month. And in that tier, we're going to actually invite you to be an audience as we record live episodes. So when we schedule an episode with a guest, uh, you will get a link to your email to view that episode live as a guest. And then from that subscription, we're going to pick once or twice a season, somebody to actually come on and be part of the episode with us. Um, right now, that's what we can offer, and we hope you guys like it. We hope you'll support us. So again, patreon.com slash talks, and we appreciate you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to season four of Job Talks Podcast. Uh, we're kicking the season off uh, with a uh, buddy I met uh, recently, Mario Badillo. I uh, just want to say thanks for a great 2023, and uh, excited to get it going here. Uh, Mario, thanks for coming in, man. Well, thank you very much for having me, buddy. Um, just a little background. Uh, I went to the Joey D conference in New York a couple of months ago. Uh, one of the classes I took was uh, rope rescue, and uh, Mario was one of the guest instructors there. Um, hit it off, had a few cocktails at the bar afterwards, and I was like, yeah, we got to get this dude on the podcast. So I, I appreciate you coming on, man. This is sick. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, we're, we're both there for a great, for a great cause, Joey D Foundation. Yeah, how is that is that the first year you've done that or have you done that multiple multiple years? That's the first New York one I've done. Uh I've done a couple of the, the Texas uh version. Yeah. Which is typically in March or so. But yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That was a that was a great that was a great conference. Like obviously the training was good, but also just like the the environment there was was awesome, you know. Yeah, it was. A lot of good people and made a lot of great connections and uh it was fun. And learned yeah. stuff myself, so it's great. That's the, that's the best part, man. That's the best part is like continual. Um, do you want to real quick give uh, give a, a background on yourself, um, kind of how you got into the fire service? Obviously, you're on Houston Fire. Um, how you got into the fire service, and uh, maybe how you started, where you started, and where you are now. Sure. Um, see, I grew up in uh, New York, uh, late seventies, early eighties, watching the show Emergency and that kind. Got me. That was the nice. buzz right there. So um, throughout the years, I was always interested in it and uh, joined the military in 95. Uh, of course, Navy, U.S. Navy, um, they teach you how to firefight a bit for shipboard firefighting. Who uh, just lost to Army, if I'm correct. I saw that. Game. I saw that. <laughs> Is that EOD? Uh, no, it was uh, Airborne Infantry. <clears throat> oh, that's good. Yeah, it was good. Well, chat. thank you for your service. Oh, you too. <laughs> good rival. So did, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Totally. Um, did four years there. Went some uh, firefighting skills, shipboard, you know, the whole nine, rep locker and all that stuff. Uh, got out and went to Houston. Houston was hiring at the time. So uh, I got on board there and 
about 2000, 2001, I got hired and I haven't looked back. Always want to be a firefighter. Um, public service runs strong in my family. Uh, my uncle Henry, he was a Port Authority cop and I survived uh, 9-11, thank God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just it's in the blood, man, to help and, and serve the community. So uh, where um, whereabouts uh, in New York are you from? And were you stationed in Houston? Is that how you is that how you ended up in uh, on Houston fire? Were you stationed in Texas? So uh, I'm originally from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And uh, let's see, uh, was there for lived there until I was 10, then moved to New Jersey. Uh, fast forward to that. Our ship used to come visit uh, the port of Houston every now and again, every two years or so. Uh, awesome. Houston, yeah, they sponsored our ship, and so uh, I met somebody, moved back, moved out here, and yeah, that's the way it goes, man. <laughs> <clears throat> that's a good job. One of the biggest departments in the country, right? That was the fourth largest uh, last county, I guess. There's uh, New York, Chicago, LA County, and we're kind of neck and neck with the city of LA, but I think we got a little bit up on them, and then yeah. You know, so that's up for grabs, I guess. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that we're we're pretty large. Um, so. Yeah, you guys are. What do you guys run for? Um, for like your your staffing? Oh, uh, used to be three. When I first came in, uh, we had a we had a line of duty death, and then that changed from three to four. Awesome. Uh, so looking about the two thousand two time frame, um, but typically it's four. Um, yep. And so for the rescue trucks. But I'm on the rescue truck. Uh, we do four. We used to have five, but it's down to four again. We need five. Oh yeah, absolutely. What do you? What is your uh, department in total run for a day? Over, over a thousand easily. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's yeah. huge. That's that's yeah. huge. Um, so <clears throat> when you started, you came in. You said 2001. Was it pre or post 9/11? So the day. <laughs> The day 9-11 happened, I was actually in the academy, and we just finished PT, and uh, one of the officers was like, uh, plane just hit the, the trade center. I was like, no way. So in my PT gear, I went to uh, the classroom, turned on TV, and I sat down. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, um, and then we waited a little more to see what, what else was going on, and then saw this second plane hit, and we knew. Oh, know. yeah. You, you you saw a family in New York? Obviously, you said it was your it was your uncle that was a Port Authority. Yeah, he retired in two thousand four fourish time frame, um, and I, I tip my hat to him. He's a Vietnam veteran, and he said, "Man, that day was that was worse than Vietnam." So it was like, oof. Oh, I, I can't imagine. I was uh I was in high school when it hit. I was my senior year, senior year of high school when that happened. Right on. Crazy. Yeah, man. it's a Tough pill to swallow, yes, sir. Um, <clears throat> tell me about the um, the Houston Academy. You guys obviously run your own academy. I obviously being that large, it's the only thing that makes sense. How long is your academy? Uh, when I went through, we had EMT school and then fire school, um, but they yanked us out and ordered me to, to get that four man staffing. So we wanted to hit the streets as EMTs on the ambulance. Um, they don't do that anymore. We have four-man staffing, so I'd say 10 months, roughly-ish, maybe less. 10, mo 10 months, wow. Uh, for us, it was, but uh, I mean, it, 
I don't know. I, I'm guessing I'll probably get grilled for that. But <laughs> well, they have, a, they have a long class, which is what I went through, EMT and fire. Then they have the short classes, uh, which are already credentialed. They're already paramedics and EMTs, so they just do short versions. Oh, okay. Learning. I got you. Yeah. I got you. So, if you don't know, the best part of doing the podcast is when you mess something up, hearing it from everybody else you work with. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Even um, better. Where'd you, so you, so you ran the ambulance when you first got hired? How long did you have to do that for? Um, so let's see. At that particular time, we were in the streets for about four, anywhere from four to six months. Uh, then we went back to fire school. Now you come out the gate fully certified, recertified. And you do your uh, am, uh, engine rotation, truck rotation, and then ambulance rotation. So it gets – and then after your ambulance rotation, everybody else um, puts you in in the regular station rotation, ambulance, truck, engine, so forth. So well, you guys so you guys rotate, like through your career, you'll be on <clears throat> engine, truck, ambulance, engine, truck, ambulance? Yes, there's no um, – there's no specific assignment duty like FDNY where they, you know, they have to put in for the truck or anything like that. Uh, Interesting. It's purely uh, circuitous, if you will. <laughs> um, I have my reservations with that, but um, anyway. But for the rescue truck, rescue side, we don't do uh, EMS. We're on the truck because we're specialized, and we do that. Oh, so that's like that's kind of the way off of like getting through that rotation is getting into like a special ops. Yes, um, hazmat, um, rescue, or even the um, um, airport as well. Oh, so you guys, um, you guys staff your airport too? Yes, yes. It's not a separate entity. Um, we do that as well. Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> so while you were doing your ambulance rotation, you were also on the engine and the truck. Then, where, uh, where were you? What, uh, what companies were you on? Okay, I started off, uh, I was a rookie at Station 10, which is in Chinatown. Um, pretty good captain. I had a really good, really good captain, good crew. Um, actually, my best friend and I started there almost the same time, and he's in rescue with me now. Thank God. Awesome. Yeah, my buddy, JJ. Uh, um, so we started there, when another new station opened up close by. Y'all, it was four or five of us that actually put in for that station, and we're the plank owners of Station 83, which is on the southwest side as well. Uh, and from there, um, I got, I'll be honest with you, I got bored running the ambulance and engine back and forth. And uh, I read a book called Last Out uh, about FDNY Rescue, Rescue 2. And I was bit from that day on. I was like, oh, I want to do rescue. I inquired about it when this uh, technical uh, rescue. Uh, Operations course opened up. I put in for it and I got in. Uh, the TRO basically is four weeks and you go through all the different disciplines of rescue. And then from there, yeah, if you, uh, so the assignment to rescue is done by seniority. So I managed to get in. Um, and then from there, you do, uh, uh, I forget how long it is now, but you do either a month or so of uh, on the job training or, um, and then you learn everything about the truck and so forth. And, uh, if you do good, you stay, if not, you know, they can let you go. Yeah. Does, uh, how many rescue companies do you have? 
We have three. Um, so Rescue 10 runs the southwest side, which is the west side of Houston, and we have uh, basically Car Blanche, the whole area. Well, we right. do uh, contiguous counties as well. Um, we can run the Fort Bend. We can run the city of Pine, which we have. Um, Rescue 11 services the whole center, north and south of the city. They're the big truck. They're the, like the 18-wheeler, basically. It looks like an 18-wheeler. Oh, yeah. yeah I've seen photos of that thing. Yeah. That thing's impressive. The beast. <clears throat> and then the east side we have rescue 42 they do a lot of uh, shipboard rescues and they service um that whole side and contiguous counties as well so do you have to do you guys have to have your um cdl to drive uh to drive that that big ass truck yeah rescue 11 you have, you have to have your uh class a so that's <clears throat> that's awesome so i th- i think it's cool obviously it's not practical for 99% of the fire departments in the country to do what you guys do. But I think it's awesome that you guys have like your own rescue school, your own academy, all this. And then within in-house, you can just kind of move up through the, through those, uh, through those programs and get onto different specialties. Yes. Um, the only thing I don't like the way, uh, so what we do is a perishable, right? Yep. So if you promote, you promote out of rescue. Uh, maybe one day, if you you could, if you do did promote, you could come back in. Right. Then you got to basically got to go through your internship program again, um, which is fine. But at least you retain a lot of the knowledge. Uh, just need more reps. Yep. Um, I wish we can promote within and stay within. That makes sense. Kind of like a um, the way Tier One does it in SoCon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have like a team leader. He's a captain, but he's also your rank. You all the same rank, various ranks, but you know, kind of the way the enlisted does it. Right. And I, and I think that's common. I think that's common just about everywhere is that you end up promoting out and then um, kind of hope that you can get back in, you know, if the right people leave and you know, there's not people ahead of you and whatnot. Do you find that you have a lot of guys that choose not to promote to stay? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I am one of them. <laughs> Hey man, uh, being happy in your careers is uh, sometimes a little bit more important than a couple extra bucks at the end of the day, you know. I agree. Um, you know, you retain that knowledge base. Um, I mean, the friendship's always there, so it, it means a little more, I think, to us being together, yeah. staying together, and moving forward and um, doing the same thing, having the same passion. Uh, yeah, whereas absolutely. being a, a badge, you know. A, gold brick or something trying to promote out because you want to promote you want to be a captain right. not to say that there shouldn't be that but you know that's my thought on that yeah no man, i'm not I hear you. discounting I'm, any promotion but you know I, i'm about that too uh i think there's i think there's obviously you need people to promote right you need people to be in charge um right i think it's got to be it's got to be the right time for you and not just chasing a paycheck or chasing a status or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's gotta be for the right reasons if you're, if you're going to promote, which, you know, there are a lot of people that do for the right reasons. A lot of people that don't, and that's not unique to the fire service. That's every, every job, you know, every job, every yep. job in the country. So, Absolutely. Um, so you've been on, uh, you've been on 14 years now as part of the special operations. Yeah. 21 in the city altogether and 14 in spec ops. Wow. So, um, it's, it's, is that is that a typical length of time if you want to do that route to go spec ops takes you five seven years to get there? 
So for us, the numerical number that we want is five years. That's the um, standard. So seniority plays a role in it. I think seniority should play a role to a degree. I also think job knowledge and, and bringing something to the table, you know, yeah, property really. skills, you know, uh, whether it be a lifeguard or, you know, construction and bring something to the table. Not Seniority should not be the only reason why you get in and trying to escape an ambulance. So, right. Uh, um, <clears throat> do you guys do that or do you guys, do you guys are strict seniority? Um, it's usually seniority, but I'm sure there's other things. I don't know how they come to it these days. So, yeah. Um, I can't speak on that part of it. Right. Um, I know, I know for, for us, for our rescue, the, the captain has, we only run one rescue and the captain has a lot of say in, in who, who goes over based on, like I said, seniority and other factors. So, um, and I, I agree. I think there's, there's gotta be a balance between seniority and, and bringing something to the table and also making sure that you're, you're stacking the company to be successful in the long term. So absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if you have a, a guy with two years left, you know, in, in an opening, I'm not saying not to put that person there, but that's not setting the company up necessarily for long-term success, you know, cause then you're just gonna have to rotate somebody back in, you know, in a couple of years. So I definitely, I definitely, I'm definitely of the same mindset. I think seniority is important. And I think like respecting <clears throat> like our senior men and, and, mm -hmm. and women is, is important. Uh, but I think also like, especially on a specialized company, bringing in the right people makes sense to me. I agree a hundred percent. So you do, you do, uh, I see your, your shirt and, uh, you said you work for triad, um, triad rescue on the side too. So in addition to working, uh, on the rescue, you kind of keep up some of your skills working with those guys. Oh yeah. And I think in general, uh, teaching it on the side elsewhere, um, keeps you sharp, not only for you, yeah. but for your guys as well. You can always bring something back and show your guys. Right. But yes. Yeah. I, I do that on the side. Uh, Swift water tech basic and, and boat operator as well. Oh, boat operator too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes sense. Navy kind of fits in with that. <laughs> we, we run, um, we run, we have, uh, uh, fire boats too. And I, uh, I just switched from, uh, boat operator to the, to the dive team. Um, oh, wow, nice. I, I love, I love running boats, man. I really love running boats. I grew up down in Florida, so I'm a transplant too. I came oh, up for yeah, the same right came up for the same reasons as you, you know what I mean? Um and and fell in love with it up here and stayed, but um but it's nice. I think it's nice to have those opportunities, you know what I mean? That's like one of the one of the things I think with like I'm not on a big department, I'd say I'm on like a, a medium-sized department, but on on some of the larger departments having the ability to like cross train into some specialties is awesome because it really keeps the job dynamic. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, you don't want to stay bored. You want to, you want to stay, stay sharp, uh, be hungry. Um, and that's why, I, you know, I do this on the side plus, um, attend other trainings outside of department, whether it be a uh, man versus machine or even just helping out with Joey D and all that. So, um, yeah. Give, do you give something do you back. teach with um do you teach with Mike outside of uh outside of like Joey D? No, 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 I don't. Mike's got his own thing. Um but we join we all join up together for this common yeah. common thread type thing and uh, it's wonderful. Um so Mike uh Mike's coming on the podcast too, so for you guys that don't know, uh Mike O'Hare is the training captain for special ops for you guys, right? 
Dad, absolutely, yes. Yeah. He's bringing so, us forward, and I love it. Yeah, he was awesome, man. Uh, so I also met him at the Joey D conference, and I uh, was actually supposed to record an episode with him tomorrow, but I got asked to pay back a swap I owe. And uh, I don't like saying no when you owe somebody, you know what I mean? So <laughs> Absolutely. So I asked him if I could reschedule, and he's a he's a pretty amicable guy. So um, <clears throat> I'm excited to have him on, too. So um, obviously, like everybody has defining moments in their career. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting and wanted to talk to you about is that you, um, you were on duty for, um, for the Southwest end fire in Houston. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, do you want to, uh, do you want to kind of run us through kind of the, how the day went like and uh, how the call came in and, and then what went down there. And, and for people that don't know about the Southwest end fire, I think that is still the, um, highest line of duty deaths in a single day for Houston fire. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's hundred percent true. Yeah. So I'd love to hear, obviously when it comes to stuff like that, anything, you, you know, you don't feel like sharing a hundred percent, but uh, I, I always believe if there are lessons that can be learned, you know what I mean? That's the best thing we can do for the people that, uh, that don't come back. So um, I'd love to get your take on the fire and, and uh, what you saw and what you learned from it. Sure. Um, so we're at the station, uh, and then we had to do some uh, running and stuff like that. So I had to go to the bank so I could get some cash to pay for the day, uh, our meals. Uh, we go inside. I go inside the bank, have my radio on, uh, trucks outside, and I hear a uh, fall drop, have fire, heavy fire. Um, I don't recall exactly what was said on the radio, and I knew, and then I see the lights go on from uh, inside the, through the windows. I said, oh, I gotta go. Ran out. Get on a truck and we start heading towards the southwest and with that, our initial dispatch. Well, as we're in around, we got another dispatch. We got double dispatch basically by OEC. Tell us to go to another fire. I'm like, okay, what the hell? We were trying to, we're getting dressed and everything. And my captain made a call to OEC. He's like, where do you want us to go? And OEC made the call to send us to the southwest end. So we jump on the boatway, head south so we can make our turn on 59. Um, and then and that's where we heard the mayday. And, and that, all that smoke that was up that we, that we had seen, because you can see the column, big column from where we're yeah. at. We made the turn. Pretty much as we were making the turn, they called the mayday and then smoke just... Probably 59 and uh, 59 going north and the, the feet of them. So there was so much traffic. So we got off the feet, but onto the feeder, which is basically a, a parallel road that runs through the freeway. Got there. Um, took us a minute because all the traffic and it's getting hard to see all that smoke. We pull up on the curb and we report to. Uh, uh, Chief Burgess, he was District 28 at the time, and uh, he told us, go talk to Captain McAfee's over there. There's a, uh, we got people trapped. And then that's where I was like, oh, shit. Um, hearing the Mayday is one thing, but then hearing people trapped is another, you know, it's, yeah, it adds a little more sense of, uh, uh, urgency and 
stuff like that. Anyway, we uh we had our pull on our truck. We had uh the pull out um tray basically for the air packs. Yep. Um, and I don't care what anybody says about the clean cap thing. That takes time off of what you need to do. So anyway, um, sorry, my little. Anyway, hey, I'm with you on it. <laughs> um, so we get our packs on. We report to Cat McAfee and said we got one right over here. Um, so there was an active firefight right where the uh, there was a window that we uh, went to. A lot of smoke, smokes down everywhere, and fire coming through the top. Uh, we had a get an engine company to help put that fire out. My captain and my partner um, went inside uh, the window, got in, and uh, we had saws. So we basically had them saws, and they started cutting the top, cutting the rafters to get a good view and so forth and see if they can lighten up that load. Of course, all the uh, all the uh, still saws died because they were choked, all that smoke. Um, they came out. I went in and so did uh, uh, Kevin Matheson. Um, we found Captain Bill Dowling. He was uh, several feet inside. Um, it was basically a lean-to collapse, it seemed like at the time. And he was trapped between that lean-to and like this a table. Yep. And it was like that much room. If you follow the, the triangle, the very end of the triangle there. Anyway, uh, so he was alive, you know, and he was screaming. And uh, Kevin um, did, had his helmet and, and jacket on, so he was able to get close to him and try to pull him. He couldn't get him out. He yelled to me, Mario, Mario, you try. I grabbed grabbed the hand. I tried pulling. I couldn't do it. And I asked for a pipe pole. Got a pipe pole. And he grabbed it and just couldn't pull him out. He was stuck. Meanwhile, there's fire. Uh, unbeknownst to, to us at the time, there was fire and uh, right by his legs. And he was trapped. And basically, his legs almost burnt, burnt off. It's a general statement there. Um but he's still alive. Jesus. Yeah. So uh, we wind up going in there. Rescue 11 showed up, going back in. And then and, and, uh, we moved this table out of the way. It was me, Patrick Horton, and, and some, I think it was uh, Anthony Abbott. We got in there and we, that was the hardest thing I ever did, man, was moving a plastic round table, like a plastic table that you see at like a, a school. Just like the way it was pinned in or? Yeah, so they had him, debris, and so forth, and we just started rocking it, started rocking it. Boom. Um, and I'd be honest with you, at some point, um, I think it was before that, we managed to get a, a rip pack into him. So it was me, Patrick, and, and I think the senior captain, I remember, we were inside there, and um, they handed me a rip pack. I pulled out the, the the regulator, but the regulator had a little tail, like a six inch tail. It's like I need another one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen that before. It's ridiculous. They gave, <laughs> they got another rip pack. They sent, they gave it to me. I set it up and I gave it to Kevin. Kevin handed it to Captain Down. 
carried on putting his mouth, putting his face piece. From what I know uh, from um, Scott, we have the first save with the Scott Rick Pack that day. Um, and we, we've learned a lot of a lot of lessons about just getting getting the rip pack to people, even if you can't remove them right away. For that exact reason, is there have been line of duty deaths where people ran out of air, you know, while, we, so, while they were trying to get extricated. One of the things that we did get from um, Scott was another a low pressure line, so we could basically extend it upwards of about sixteen feet. Oh wow! So you can actually keep that rip pack barely outside the IDLH or fire zone or wherever. Give them air and work on extricating without being right there. Um, so that that was after the fact, and they did that for us. And each rescue truck has an extra low pressure line that we can attach. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, that's a good I idea. Mean, so can you change? Can you change the bottle and stuff like outside of that environment? So basically somebody is almost like confined space, like managing that? Um, yes and no. Yes, you can do it. I don't think stop rights off on that. Okay, fair enough. I'm not mistaken. But yeah. you can so yes, you can change it out of the idea let you use it at basically like a nurse station. Yeah. Or, but you can you can do that. Um or just, was, or just you guys have you guys use UACs like you could just keep hot filling it from another bottle, so you yeah, don't have you, to you can do it. Sure, you can do that as well and have the, the yeah. bottles stacked up outside of where they're they're trapped. Interesting. So, it's, it's a good idea. Another way to skin the cat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good idea, especially for like you said, those ones that you're not too deep in, but you know, having that out of the way and just a, a hose, so you're not not tangled up with it and being able to like constantly fill it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, hopefully, you never need to use it, but it definitely has a place. So, in my mind, he was really close to that window. Yeah, you know that's what I see still. Right. Um, and uh, so he survived. Oh yeah. So um, once awesome. we got that table out of the way, my captain, my, my captain now, he was EO at the time. He started pulling them out, and uh, I was out already, and they handed them off to the rest of us and we put them on the stretcher the medic 10 stretcher and uh so i was kind of in the middle and it kind of helped like a human line basically from what i remember and we put them yeah. on and he already had his gear off they took, they took his gear off and i saw his his legs um, and i kind of like was taken back because you have the leg straps on the yeah. stretcher, like there's not much left. Do I put this on there? You know what I mean, dude? I, you know what? Like th that might sound odd to people, but little things like that are are things that really fuck with people. You know what I mean? Like like that, just like little like change and not knowing like what you're seeing and like what to do, and then like I'm sure you know thinking about it afterwards and stuff like that. Yeah. It's um. It, you saying that like I've heard similar stories from people for different incidents, firefighting and you know, what else other things, but like those little, like those little moments and they, those are the ones that kind of like stick with you. You know what I mean? That that certainly does. The other one uh, that sticks with me 
Um, so anyway, we 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 rehab real quick, got together, and we powwowed, and then uh, we were it was defensive, obviously at this time. And then, uh, one of the chiefs was like, "Yeah, we're gonna have to. This is defensive now, um, and the rest is gonna be a body recovery." I was like, "Who else is in there?" So you're focused on one, this one one piece here, and you hear every now and again, you hear, "Oh, there's somebody else over there." Well, they there were. They didn't register till later. Um, but anyway, once they got until out. Um, Rescue 42 started to go in, and they were going to get the others. Uh, then there was a secondary collapse. The secondary collapse wall, our herd was, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And um, it fell. Um, thank goodness there was a bunch of us facing towards the building already. So we ran up, and I grabbed the right side, and I think Kevin Matheson and a couple others grabbed the rest of the, the wall and, and lifted it up. And we had um, guys trapped, and they were they were they were, they were messed up. They had to get pulled out and, and extricated as well. Um, so another thing, another lesson learned: there's a collapse is probably going to be a, more likely to be a secondary. So yeah, always got to got to be on the lookout for it. So that happened, and uh, we lost three guys. Not we, they didn't die, but they were injured enough to where they had to retire. Uh, medically eventually man you never so, you never know when that day will be either you know what i mean like whether <clears throat> that day that you're the one in the collapse or that day that you're the one called to to try and mitigate the situation um and i imagine that's a that's a career defining moment so that was 2013 right so 10 years ago yeah um yeah. a lot of guys did a lot of things and i'm still learning about it that were like individual acts of heroism it was a collective you know I'm just a small part of that little piece. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What did, uh, like going, going forward from that and, uh, <clears throat> going forward from that, was it, was there anything like you took away other than like the actual, like acts of what you did, but like, did it, did it like give you, not that you already didn't have it, but like solidify the mindset of like being well-trained, knowing your shit, you know what I mean? Yes, um, it, it did. Um, Complacency is hard sometimes, uh, especially when you're surrounded by people that don't think this, that, that don't have the same mindset as you. Just a general statement there. Yeah. Um, but you really got to up your game because it's not for you, it's for your brothers. <laughs> you know, it's about the guy next to you. I understand that. I know it's a cliche thing, but it, a lot of uh, a lot of careers don't don't see that or get to experience that, but you know, right. they also don't, they also don't eat, sleep, shower, go to, uh, weddings, births. Yeah. Uh, laugh, cry, and then die together. It's so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's we a, have it's a, a, legit, a unique profession. It's a legitimate family. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think complacency is, uh, everybody fights it at some point in their career. Absolutely. And I'm guilty of it as well. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think like the, the, the number one thing to do is just recognize that everybody can be complacent and, you know, recognize when you are being complacent, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we all got to check each other. And that goes to good leadership, you know, whether it be top or down, 
we all have to yeah. check ourselves every now and again. And hey, let's get like my my captain uh, Patrick Horton says. He goes, uh, you know, don't be sorry, be better. I like so. that. Don't. Be <laughs> Hang on, I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get my pen yeah. that I dropped. <laughs> I'm writing, writing that one down. Don't yeah. be sorry, be better. Yeah. I like that. Well, I think that. Um, hang on, let me write that down. Don't be sorry. Um, well, I think that's a good transition. So I, I said before we started recording, I was pretty excited because I asked you to give me a couple bullet points of things you wanted to talk about. And one of the things that you uh, put in there was leadership from below, and that's something I <clears throat> I really believe in, um, and something you had just kind of kind of alluded to. So you want to like give me your thoughts on like what that means to you. Uh, I think in general it means to, to mentor the not only the new guys coming in, but um, up the skills of the guys next to you and yeah. uh, also supporting your leadership. Uh, I could be a pain in the ass at times, so I know that. But I got I've, uh, I've been accused <laughs> of that one more than once myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the nature of being a, you know, type A in that respect. Uh, yeah, but I have, but I also have strong support from my direct leadership down. Right. So it, it needs to come, you know, the top and the bottom have to have to meet up in the middle, and then you all collectively come together and uh, kick ass. Yeah. So for so for me, it means you know helping the guys below get or not below, but the new guys, guys uh, that don't necessarily have the skills, you know phone them up and get them ready for another station, another or another uh, assignment. And then bringing back stuff that I learned from someone, someone else like Joey D or whatever, and show my guys, Hey, check this out. This may not be SOP or sexy, but there's another way to do this in case, you know, that three in the morning time frame comes around and you forget to do something. Well, this might pop in your head. It was trapped like this. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think there's, I think there's something important and like the senior man in the fire service is, uh, is like, uh, this mythical position, right? Like everybody has this kind of great respect for the senior man. And for me, like the reason is that leadership from below, I think it's important to have people who are peers, you know what I mean? Like having, having your officer is one thing. And obviously they're the leader of your group and they're kind of ultimately responsible for your group, but having somebody that's a peer that can show you things that's on your level that you can you know, feel comfortable. And I think that's a big one, feel comfortable going to and be like, Hey man, how do I do this? Like, I, I don't remember this or like, Hey, this didn't go quite right for me. Even if nobody else saw it, you know, having that like relationship that they can come up to you and you're not, you're not a boss, you're a peer and you can share knowledge and like build. Like, I think that's a, a huge, hugely important piece of, of the fire service. I, I, I mean, I think it I job, but huge, huge in the fire service. Because ultimately, I mean, we, if we do a good job for the public, we go back to the station and then the guy's like, you could have done this better. Or you you should have done this. And then there's that, that air of uh, disappointment, which is worse than being angry at somebody, I think, for me. like, Oh, yeah. Having your best friend for 20-something years say, hey, you messed up there, bro. So, oh. you take it more yeah. to heart and you better yourself. And I so think that's... That, that... You know, that's huge too. It's like having, having people that, and again, I think that's where that like being peers comes in is having people that'll be honest with you. You know what I mean? Like yes. having people that will tell you, Hey bro, you, you, uh, you kind of, you kind of messed that one up. You know what I mean? Like 
let's uh let's let's fix it or figure it out or whatever the case is or like i said the other way like having a call and again even if nobody sees it and you feel like something went wrong being able to to go to that person and be like hey i think i did something wrong here let's talk about it how like did i did i not how do we fix it you know what i mean i think I just, I just think I love, I love the idea of, of leadership from, from below. There's obviously, there's obviously leadership through rank, but uh, maybe it's a military thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like if you have, you always answer to that boss, but if you have strong leadership where the boss doesn't have to talk to you because you guys work well together, you do things together and you're like a coordinated team. That's, that's the best there is out there. I agree. And so for us, it's unique, the fact that we don't have that, you know, E1 through E9. Um, the senior guy is basically the NCO. You know what I mean? Yeah. And basically the NCO is kind of just like chiefs in the Navy. They yeah. run the Navy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so and that, and that's where there's a separation for us. Usually suppression. Suppression, you have your captain and everybody else, and they, you know, they kind of follow the captain. Unless they have a really good uh, crew, which thank God I'm surrounded by that in my district, 68, 51, you know, good people. Yeah. And uh, but other places, it's not so much a captain. Hey, we're going here. You do. And they just ducks in a row and then they have this. Yeah, then, I think that's but, something I don't want to say that's unique to to tech rescue, but at least is echoed over and over again in tech rescue is that that everybody has a thought process and a way of doing things and like having an entire team that can think critically leads to better outcomes. I agree. Um, we all have buy-in, um, you know, we all have say the captain doesn't like it. We don't do it. We revert to my, my partner's plan or, you know, and that's the thing about tech rescue. We need that A, B, C, D, and sometimes E in the back of our minds. So, And I, and yeah, and I think they said that like, everybody has to be able to critically think you can't, you can't just, you can't just follow the leader all the time. Um, And that should be, again, like that should be throughout any company. But I feel like that's really, I feel like when you talk to people that do tech rescue, it's something that almost everybody that's in does tech rescue echoes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um. And, and like, so I think, again, that's like a good transition to, to the other bullet point that you, that you, uh, that you mentioned to me is talking about continual learning, like all, always learning. Yeah. Um, that's a big thing. Uh, you know, 20 plus years, you can still teach an old dog new tricks because sometimes there's a better way of doing it. Uh, and that rolls into the fact of like, through the fire service in the years, there's a lot of folklore and, and things you hear. Oh, you shouldn't do it this way. Well, there's technology now. There's testing for different pieces of equipment. So now that becomes passe, and this is a new way to do it that's a lot more efficient. Or the technology's there. We have different ropes and so forth. Um, so you need to keep up with a lot of stuff. Uh, extrication tools. We have battery-powered extrication tools now. now what are the nuances about that and uh that's the I was actually range. gonna ask you if if after I mean I don't think in twenty thirteen the battery powered extrication tools were around, but is that is that something that helped you said all the saws were dying being choked out inside the building. Was that something that helped you guys uh make that decision to to get electronic 
extrication I, tools as well, like saws and stuff like that? Uh, down the road, yes. When they became available, yes. Um, yeah. So we, we do uh, – we carry two different brands. Uh, one circular saw, which is battery operated, and the other one's going to be a chainsaw and has its uses. But we also carry stills as well. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have we didn't have any of that available. We went to we just went to Electronic Tools not too long ago, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely a, a recent development um, <clears throat> with like actual extrication tools, like the you know Hearst Jaws of Life and all the other brands, and then now like I said the battery powered chainsaws, you know, rotary saws, the, the whole bit. So, and it's I, all think, I think you're, what's that? It's all getting better to each piece. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I think that's it. You know, people are always initially resistant to, to, to something that changes because, you know, I think, I think nobody, nobody wants to be the person that takes that tool in the first time and then it doesn't work. You know what I mean? So I think that hesitation has some merit, but like you said, constantly learning taking the tools out to drill so that you put them through their paces learning what you know how they work what their nuances are um things like that matter and and uh i think like <clears throat> i'm actually going to talk to um there's a uh um a captain in boston that's going to be coming on the podcast soon and uh i reached out to him because he had an article published that that was called like the proby mindset and basically exactly what you're saying here is that he believes that you should always have the mentality of of learning of like somebody can bring something to the table and you could still learn mm -hmm. no matter how far along you are in your career and that's absolutely um each of us in our collective lives has different experiences that uh you know that somewhere down the line can be useful to to the team effort so we can't discount just because of the new guy or i you know guy he forgot forgot more you know but we all carry something we can bring. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that when you, I, I think it all just ties in and I really love this, this topic, but I think that when you, when you believe in like leadership from below, it builds a culture of listening to people who are above and below you who are older and younger, you know, newer on the job, older on the job and, and actually being open to, to people's ideas and opinions. You know what I mean? And if, and if like you can bring all that together, man, I think you make some really, really good crews. I, I agree a hundred percent. So each of us has our strong suits and weaknesses. We're not perfect. Um, and I right. think with that, if you find something, you bring it to them, Hey, what do you think about this? And they'll work on it and make them better, make us better as a whole. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, <clears throat> well, that was awesome, dude. I, always like when i do this it it uh it's surprising to me how fast uh the time goes by you know what i mean like 45 minutes an hour goes by like that um is there anything else that you wanted to hit um like i said I, we hit those those bullet points that you were talking about i appreciate you talking about the southwest Empire. i know um it's always hard to ask people to talk about those those types of calls because obviously we all live with that stuff and uh and so I, I, I appreciate you doing that. Um, Thank you. But uh, is, there, is there anything I like to ask people, um, like wrapping it up and winding down, um, like to give to give like something. So give like a tip or a training tip or like a piece of advice. Do you have anything that you could you could leave us with? Uh, spay and neuter your pets. <laughs> Love it. 
Okay, uh, I got one. Um, um, sorry. Spain, that's going to be the that. title of the episode. Spay new to your pets. <laughs> that's from that, was it uh, Fireman versus uh, Jake? Uh, fireman versus Policeman? Oh, yeah. Jake and, oh, yeah, the puppets. That, that yeah, the puppets. Yeah, dude, that that's great. I haven't seen that in forever. Cool. Uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, don't be complacent. And, and always, always try to learn. So yeah, man. Always and, and I think, I think that's like, I think that's it, man. I think like that's the, I think that's kind of the the um, overarching theme of this conversation is is, you know, I, I like that you said like recognize your weaknesses. People don't like to admit that they have weaknesses. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and you might be the the rope nerd. You know what I mean? But this guy might be the hazmat nerd and you might be okay in it. But if that guy's around, use him. You know what I mean? That's like fun. use his brain. You know what I mean? Like use, use your brain for, for the things that you're strong in. And, and I think it, like, it's not about, <clears throat> it's not about the individual, right? It's about the team, about the mission. So if you recognize where you lack, obviously you train and try to bring yourself up, but there's always going to be somebody that is a little bit better than you somewhere. And, and, and I love that. Knowing when awesome. and where to use those skills, man, is is super important. I love hazmat nerds because uh, there's something I have to know. You know, let them do it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Nerds nerds are important in life. Nerds are important. Um, don't don't be sorry. Be better. Don't there be sorry. Go. Be better. That that actually is going to be the real title of the episode. Like don't it. be sorry. Be better. Spay and neuter your pets. <laughs> Mario Badillo, Houston Five. Um, <laughs> Well, awesome, man. I appreciate you, you taking the time. And, and like I said, I think I, I tell everybody and probably every episode, somebody it, it's in there somewhere is selfishly. One of the best parts about doing this podcast is getting to like sit down, meet and talk with people and like do that continual learning, always learn something, bring a piece and then just the networking, you know? Um, so I, I, uh, I, I think it's personally, I think it's really cool that you can go to a conference not know anybody, leave there and end up on, you know, chatting, shooting the shit for an hour on a podcast, man. <laughs> man, it was Nothing a pleasure like to service. That's right. It was a pleasure yeah. to meet you and thank you very much for this uh podcast. We appreciate you. Awesome, man. Uh I'm gonna stop the recording, but you can hang on and uh okay. once it's done. One second. Okay. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh Thank you again for an awesome 2023. We're kicking off 2024 with Mario Badillo, Houston Fire, and we will see you in two weeks.